SMQBs, this is episode 55, special guest appearance from Paul the Canuck Miller to talk NHL hockey. Milk, we missed you this week. Uh, in addition to hockey, we're covering Coach K's last debacle at Cameron Indoor, covering the bubble teams, who's going to burst the bubble this week as championship week gets started, going a little NHL update. Uh, MLB lockout update, and we have got a plethora of punchable faces and Ted Lasso moments. Check us out, leave us five stars, have fun, enjoy the show. SMQBs, this is episode 55. Before we uh, get to the number 55, we have a special guest from the North appearing in his second SMQBs episode. Paul the Canuck Miller is back. Welcome, Paul. Milk, we miss you. No, we don't. Yeah, <laughs> we miss milk. We miss milk. I miss milk's NBA updates. That's what I miss. All right, so it's number 55, and just happens that this, this player is 55 years old right now. He's an eight-time NBA All-Star, uh, All-NBA second team, two-time uh, All-NBA third team, four-time Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, no, 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 Well done. It is, <laughs> it is, yes, Dikembe, Mutombo, Mopolando, Mukamba, Jean-Jacques Wamutombo, officially. That is All his right. real full name. So, But, but yes. we really don't know how old he is. We really don't. Fair point. Fair yeah, point. It's I, I refuse to believe he and I are the same age. He's clearly older. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> By the way, number 55, he, his number was retired by the Hawks and the Nuggets. Uh, he played um, for Denver, Atlanta, Philly, New Jersey, New York, and Houston. It's a pretty long career. You know, Chris, I got to tell you, I swear you were going to go with Chris Hanberger today. I did, too. Yeah, you guys I all looked too. it up ahead of time. You all looked it up ahead no, of time. Right? No, 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 no. I, no. I remember no, no. Chris Hamburger. So do I. I'm shocked no. you didn't go with Oral Hershiser. You no. always love baseball. No, but he's not guessed, even in the Hall of Fame. You guessed Hershiser a couple weeks ago when it was Kofax. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, yeah. I, I'm just disappointed he didn't go with the the Leighton Vanderash, the Wolf Howler. I mean, come on. He's obvious. <laughs> okay. Did uh, you guys see? Did you guys? Did you guys see Dikembe dancing with the fans in the stands for the African Basketball League this past yeah. weekend? It's a great video. He's kind of the ambassador to this upstart African Basketball League, um, which is tied in a little bit with the NBA. And he was dancing with them. It was great. He's great. He is great. The commercial he does is is pretty great, too, where he's running through the grocery store, swatting yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, listen, speaking of uh, of basketball, we'll start with a little college basketball recap. And Pope, uh, we had the big UNC Duke game, the last game for Coach K at home at legendary Cameron. Clearly, he was going to go out a winner on top. Right, Brian Pope, take it away. 
there was no question that the Dukies in mass were coming in for the coronation and the adios to Coach K and kicking North Carolina's ass one final time in front of everyone for the glory. And it was all set up, two-hour special game day in Durham. You had 96 former players, guys who slapped the court so many times during Carolina Duke games, the hated Christian Leitner. You had everybody, Hurley, all those guys, they were all there to watch their beloved Coach K. And they kind of forgot that there was actually a basketball game that evening. They got kind of caught up a little bit in the nostalgia and the, the, the ceremonial aspect. But North Carolina came there and all, all week long, Hubert Davis is like, no distractions. It's a sideshow. Don't get caught up in it. Just go there, play your game. Finally, Carolina put it all together. And biggest upset, you know, I think of the year, based on the circumstances, one of the bigger upsets in regular season ACC history, Carolina knocked Duke off by 13 points when they were a dog by 11 and a half going into the game. And anybody would have asked me, I would thought they would get run out of the gym. So how did they do it? Uh, you know, we don't have to break down the entire game, but Carolina finally brought the fight, um, outscored Duke by uh, in the second half. They had 55 points, uh, basically unstoppable, finally uh, put all the pieces together. Their, their five starters play the entire second half, which is pretty amazing. They have they have no depth, so they're not going to make a deep run, obviously. But this this was like a national championship for them after the game. The uh, fans all poured out of the bars on Franklin Street and celebrated as if they'd won a national championship. So good for Hubert Davis. It's a signature win, gets the program going in the right direction. Uh, you know, we can talk about where to put Coach K uh, on the, the – wherever on the, you know, the scale for coaches. Uh, I think he's probably the greatest modern college basketball coach. Um, but there was, you know, one thing that at the end of the game that uh, we all wanted to talk about uh, which was the uh, snub of Hubert Davis in the handshake line. Um, we were texting about that when it happened. And, it, you know, I'm not saying that Duke didn't show class, but they did try to explain it away by saying, well, Hubert didn't congratulate or, or shake everybody's hand in pregame, including the uh, assistant coaches, which is a tradition. So we decided to snub him, which I think that's a bunch of bullshit. That was yeah, yeah, yeah that wasn't. That's shot. not what really happened, though. They, they losers. Duke was so into this ridiculous show they were putting on for Coach K that they actually asked UNC, "Can we do the handshake line before the game?" I guess they wanted to get right on with the program after the game. They were assuming they're going to win, and UNC yeah. said, "No thanks. We're we're getting yeah. ready for the game before the game." Right. That's all yes. they did. It, they didn't do anything wrong. Right. It's bullshit. But, but oh, it was wait. only, well, it was only on. one guy, though. Yeah, Coach yeah, K but it's totally unsportsmanlike. Yes, Coach K did, but but this guy, um, Chris Carowell, is getting justifiable criticism for people like Dickie V and others for for being a, a baby about it. It's the most uncoached K thing you could do, right? I mean, it's really if you think about it, it's like one of the most uncoached K that would Coach K have never. Uh, would you have ever walked past Dean Smith shaking hands after 
after no, a no way. loss. No, no way. chance. It's no just uh, and, and you, you know. look at and, and Duke's had some losses over the years in in the NCAA, and Coach K has always gone over, especially if it was a younger coach, congratulated them, and yeah. and and always acted, you know, with absolute class. And and this is unfortunately a little bit of a uh, I wouldn't say stain, but it, it just it doesn't reflect well uh, on what's coming for potentially Duke basketball. If this is what wait, is, that's not what's coming for John Shire shook hands. Yeah. K shook hands. I think yeah. we're giving just, a little bit extra attention to this one doofus assistant yeah. coach. Who's in he does. He deserves a punch, but nobody else on the staff. Well, did you did you think way. Hubert was Hubert Davis going to hit him? Is it a, <laughs> a John Howard <laughs> situation? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pope, with an open, open, open fist. (laughs) Yeah. Pope, do you feel a little bad? Do you feel a little bad for, uh, for, for making uh, sending coach K out a loser? No, not a little bit, not one, one point zero zero, whatever I said, you know, on my, no, there's no part of you that should feel bad. No, right. Exactly. There's one right answer here, but you know, the, the funniest part was, watching coach K, you know, for the half hour after the game, because yeah. again, they assumed it was a done deal. This was going to be a celebration. He looked like a fucking hostage sitting there yeah. knowing yeah. he just got his ass kicked. And he just <laughs> would rather have been anywhere except for there. And people were cheering and he just, Oh boy. The I whole production, imagine. the whole production was a Duke haters wet dream. It really yes, was. It was. From, <laughs> From the beginning, when they 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 didn't even ESPN should get a punch because they didn't go to the ceremonial shit at the beginning yeah. of the game because you had Texas and Kansas in a barn burner, even and, though this Carolina Duke game had been promoted forever. I don't understand why is ESPN not getting more shit for this, right? I mean, they completely blew it. They completely blew it. They talked yeah. this thing up all week. They that you like you said they had the two hour game day special. They interviewed everyone. They had everybody who ever even, you know, washed a Duke shirt or jersey was on the court. Dickie the V wrote a letter. Dickie V wrote a letter. That was sweet. And whatever. And 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 then they blew it by not even getting there. And they couldn't stream it on the app. Why are they not getting more shit about this? It was unbelievable. Well, we it, it starts here and now. We're going to give them shit for it. <laughs> but I, but I, it was it was pretty funny. I think I texted you guys the the picture of Roy Williams wearing his Kansas uh, sticker, you know, it's like, it was perfect Carolina uh, trolling for them not to have any of that stuff pregame before the tip off. It was awesome. I will say this, not, 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 notwithstanding the kind of embarrassment of losing in that environment, the reverence that he has from his former players. I mean, a lot of these guys, they're in the middle of NBA basketball season that, I mean, the fact that he got all of those guys there and they were all wearing the Brotherhood shirt, it was pretty cool. I mean, he he really has created some kind of legacy there that, you know, Jay Billis said, we're never going to see someone who stays with one program 42 years ever again. You know, the money that gets thrown at these coaches that day. Will there be another Coach K in our lifetime that, that coaches a program 30, 40 years? I doubt it. No. Yeah, I, I don't consider myself a K hater either. I, I'm just joking about this. But um, I mean, let's face it. If you were a father of a kid 
who had the potential to play at any one of these blue chip schools. I mean, it's a pretty easy decision to entrust your child to Coach K over all these years. I mean, he's a, he's a solid guy. He's there for these kids. He's a good teacher. I mean, he's he's really he really deserves the accolades. I just think the whole production of this six month retirement tour was a farce. It, it it backfired on them, and it was just poorly orchestrated. Bad idea. It was karma, karma guys. It was karma. <laughs> I mean, you look, at Roy, look at Roy Williams. Roy Williams stepped down after the Duke game last year. No fanfare. Just walked away. And you know, turn the program over to the next generation. Right. And and instead of doing that, Kay shortly after Roy retired announced his retirement. But he said, "I'm going to coach for another year, and Shire is going to be the coach in waiting. But we're going to, you know, we're going to fet you all year." And I mean, come on, guys. They had Kay on their on their shirts. It wasn't Duke. It was Kay. Right. You know. Right. Karma. It was, so, it was supposed to be senior night. The seniors on the team got nothing because it was all about right. Kay. Right. Joey Baker didn't even get in. It was a senior uh, night. It's, you know, there, there's there's some ways you can look at it almost uh, as the end of, a, of an era of coaches, right? I mean, you've had, you know, Kay, Kay was sort of the, the guy tying together some of those generations of uh, Dean Smith, uh, John Thompson, um, so those guys who did stay at programs and built them from nothing and then stayed there the whole time. Uh, and, and K might be the, the last one, although I'll tell you that, that uh, and it hurts my heart a little bit to say this, but the guy who might take the mantle uh, is, is in the window there uh, with Villanova, Jay Wright. I mean, if, if Wright decides to stay uh, and spend, you know, spend the next 20 years, which I, I think he's young enough that he could do that. Um that might be your your really last legacy guy, because uh, certainly there's no reason for him to go anywhere. What about Beheim? Yeah, he's well, Beheim too. Beheim too. He's, he's, he's running out of kids. Long time. He's running out of offspring. Yeah, Beheim. Well, pretty if much. If he keeps dumb, marrying though. younger, he can keep having them. <laughs> you know, one of those one of those Hurley Jim Rats might stay around forever if the teams will let let them. You, you know, Chris, but you I mean, just mentioned you mentioned the. The last, he's one of the last of these dying breed, but my recollection is Duke in, under Coach K, never on probation, no no tr- real scandals. Dean Smith, no real scandals. You know these guys who have stayed uh, are so different than Calipari and Patino and some of these other guys who just come off so terribly, and it, it's a shame that you know Coach K and. And Dean Smith, they are a dying breed. I mean, this this will put it in perspective, guys. I was in Chapel Hill when Coach K got hired by Duke in 1980. I was 13. Right? You look great. I was 13 great. years old. 42 <laughs> years later, looking about the wow. same. I, mean, I got – Matumbo right? looks way better than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so next year in the ACC, Dean Smith – or Shashevsky, first time one of them will not be coaching since the 60s. Wow. That'll That's put it in perspective. Crazy. That's, That's incredible. Crazy. All right. Well, listen, um, you know, good job, North Carolina, ruining every Duke uh, alum's life. Uh, nice job. Uh, congrats on that. Uh, House, we, we do have some basketball that that matters for the, for the games on the court. Uh, what's going on with some of our bubble teams? It's getting – into form here pretty much 
the final 12 teams who are in the mix, you know, last four in, first four out, next four out, um, all kinds of pundits go at this. I think Joe Lunardi gets it the best and normally is right on. There's the last four in right now are Wake Forest, Xavier, Wyoming, and SMU. They're looking pretty good. Um, there are a couple games this week that could change that uh, bubble. Interestingly, a new at-large bid pretty much opened up as a result of uh, Loyola of Illinois, their victory yesterday over Drake um, ensured that Drake, you know, Loyola had they lost that game probably was going to get an at-large bid. So that opened up one more at-large bid. Right now we only have Loyola of the MVC, Longwood of the Big South, and Murray State of the OBC that are automatic bids in. The first four out are right now likely to be Indiana, Dayton, BYU, and Virginia Tech. The next four right behind that, Virginia, VCU, Florida, and AM. So the games to watch this week that could change a lot. On Wednesday, Xavier plays Butler in the Big East. If Xavier loses that game to a poor Butler team, they would no longer be one of the last four in. They would probably be on the outside looking in. Oregon versus Oregon State is a game because, you know, that's touchy about Oregon. Indiana versus Michigan is the big marquee matchup of this week. Um, Michigan is about 17 or 18 and 12. They're looking pretty good with their marquee wins, but if Indiana loses that game to Michigan, they're definitely out. And if they win, Indiana's probably in, and we'll see what happens to Michigan. The same goes for OU versus Baylor on Thursday. OU is on the outside looking in, and Wyoming at UNLV on Thursday in the Mountain West. Wyoming is the last four in, so if Wyoming loses that game to UNLV, that's another spot that they're knocked out of most likely on the outside and one of these other first four out like Indiana, Dayton, BYU, or Virginia tech could move up. So that's where we are right now. It's going to be a fun week. This is the, obviously the tournament's awesome, but this is, this is the best. This is the best week of the year. All these guys playing, you know, half court shots. I don't know if you guys saw that half court shot by Tulsa to win that game. Yep. Uh, It's awesome. It's awesome. So that's the bubble story. Well, I, I've got and, one I, I've got a question though. Wake Forest is like twenty three and eight, right? How are they one of the last four on the bubble right now? I don't under. I, I mean, you can only play the schedule that you you have. They're in the ACC. They're twenty three and eight. How is that? How have they become a bubble team? The problem is they're in the ACC, exactly. which is like a mid major this year. I know you're a religious listener, Paul. I am. That's turned into a participant. And so you heard Pope said last week that the ACC is having a very, very down year. And so that actually probably hurts Wake Forest this year. Sure. Sure. I mean, the one thing I, you know, I do, I do listen to you guys every week. And the one thing going through their wins and losses, I was thinking, how did COVID affect each of these teams and when they lost games? And I don't know. I didn't go back and check, but that has got to be a factor that some teams might have lost games 
you know, on paper, it looks, how could they lose? But they might have been affected by COVID in December or January. VCU only has eight losses. But of course, all these all these uh, bubble and bracket predictions and everything, they go totally out the window when two or three teams shock the world and win their and win their tournament. Right. right? And then just yep. upend everything. So, uh, you know, the best laid plans. And then you have a team that comes out of nowhere uh, to win its conference tourney and steals a spot, screws up somebody else's oh, life. Well, well, North Carolina just screwed up somebody's life. You know, no, they were win. They were on the bubble, but they're in they, now. Yeah, but most things you looked at, they were the first four uh, or the last four in, or, you know, in one of them, they had an 11 seed. So oh, right? I'm okay. not sure that they created another spot. Well, well I mean, it'll be a lot they, of fun. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. It, it's always it's always fun, and uh, there'll be plenty to watch uh, this week. So enjoy it. Have fun with it, everybody. Um, let's move to the ice. We've imported across uh, our northern border. We have uh, the Canuck here. Paul, you're here especially to give us the NHL <laughs> update because Canadians don't know anything else other That's than true. hockey. That's Talk true. to That's us not, about no. what's going on in the NHL right now. First of all, we, we know maple syrup. We know donuts. Okay. Poutine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, um, you know, looking back when I was here back in the first week of the NH- NHL season when you decide to do an NHL preview, um, you know, I, uh, I, I look back and say, boy, did I miss on the Islanders? Oh, boy, did I miss on the Islanders? And, and I don't know what's happened to them. Um, but, you know, I look at this and the Eastern Conference is pretty much set of who's going to make the playoffs. There's going to be a little bit of, you know, jumping around of who plays who. But I, I will tell you right now, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are the biggest goddamn fucking mirage in the NHL. Okay, they have this great record, uh, but they have the worst goals against in, since December 1st in five-on-five hockey. Jack Campbell, who's affectionately known as Soup Up here, cannot stop a fucking puck any longer. Uh, and Peter Morozik, uh, you know, you win with goaltending. The Montreal Canadiens last year made it to the finals because Carey Price took them all the way. So I look at the Eastern Conference and thank God Milk's not here because Tampa Bay has got to be the uh, real favorite right now. Though if they do play Boston in the first round, you know, guys like uh, Pasternak and Marshawn, they they, uh, they can make life real miserable for a team. It'll be interesting to see how the Penguins play. Uh, this is going to be one of their last chances. Sid, Sid is getting up there. Malkin's getting up there. The goaltending is questionable. Uh, so this has got to be Pittsburgh's year if they're going to make a move because they're running out of time in paying three players big, big money with Tang Malkin and uh, Crosby. Uh, so this has got to be it. If you look at the West, Edmonton, I still think – I think Edmonton's still going to get in there. Wait a minute, um, Paul, before you get to the West. Sure. What do you think about the uh, the Hurricanes? I mean, the Whalers. You know, the Whalers. Here, you know what? Uh, the Carolina Hurricane – I worry about their goaltending. I really do. Freddie Anderson, we got to watch here for four years. Good luck to you in the playoffs. Because um, goaltending wins. That's it. I mean, yeah. you know, if you look at, you know, you go back over the years, the players that win the con Smythe, the most valuable in the playoffs, are often the goalies. And, and, you know, you'll always have one goalie who's just standing on his head 
who will steal a game, steal a series. Uh, I don't think Carolina is going to get, I think Carolina might have trouble with Washington. If they play, if they meet up, I would not want to play Washington in the first round. Well, uh, I know, I know you say it's all about goaltending, but you got to like the Florida Panthers. They're scoring like literally like six yeah. goals a game. I mean, whatever goaltending is worth, they're going to outscore it. They're, they are a machine as goal scorers. That's yeah, the team the, I like in the East. Toby, the only problem is, and I, I hear you, except for the Oilers of the 80s, high-scoring teams have not fared great in the playoffs. Yeah. The number of talk, teams talk, that – Talk to me about it. Tell me about <laughs> Washington, high-scoring teams. <laughs> but if you, look, if you look at the teams that over the years – Teams uh, in the LA Kings came out of nowhere and won a uh, Stanley Cup being the eighth seed. St. Louis a couple of years ago squeaked into the playoffs and got a hot goalie. Scoring, you know, the one thing about scoring is five on five scoring gets reduced tremendously and then it comes down to special teams. And so, again, until Florida does something in the playoffs, one year does not make them a uh, – a team that I would invest a lot of money in if you want to put some money down on the playoffs, but I would want to put some money down on the Colorado Avalanche. Yes, because I got to tell you, they are loaded. They've got goaltending, they got defense, they got. I mean, they are loaded. I cannot see anyone upsetting them this year. I mean, anything can happen. A team gets hot, but I got to tell you, Colorado just looks so so good right now. Um, you know, I'm surprised that the Kings are playing as well as they are. Um, I would be worried. I, you know, St. Louis, you know, they've got that experience. They've got some tried and true veterans and the goaltending. They get uh, their goaltending to come around. They could challenge Colorado, but I would look for Colorado to uh, get to the finals. But, you know, all this being said, trade, de- trade deadline is coming up. A lot of things can happen. The Flyers could get worse. It's possible, <laughs> um, but you know, you know, trade de- trade deadline is a very interesting time in the NHL. It does have a huge impact. So the trade deadline is about two weeks away, um, and once you see what happens there, I wouldn't. You know, I, I imagine Edmonton is looking for a goalie. I said that right at the beginning of the season. Edmonton gets goaltending. They're on. They're going to be great. They haven't had it yet. They're looking to upgrade. I don't know the contracts that are ready to be moved. But um, if they can find a goaltender and not give up too much, look out for Edmonton. You didn't mention the team with the best record in Canada. <sighs> Who's that? The Calgary the, Flames? Yep. The Calgary Flames, I still think, again, they've gone on a 10-11 game winning streak. Before that, they were just run-of-the-mill. Uh, they're playing great right now. But you know what? I, I, I get worried about teams that just get hot because – uh, if you're not doing it over the course of the season, like Colorado, um, I would worry about, uh, I mean, first of all, just, I'm just looking at the standings. Toronto's got 74 points. Calgary's got 73. So, um, you know, Calgary, again, if they can get through a first round, okay. Let's cause they do have goaltending, but again, I think, uh, they're, they've been inconsistent this year. And if there wasn't, if, you know, that 10 game winning streak sure helps. Sounds like the Canadians last year. Yeah. So I want to I want to throw out a controversial topic, but but ask you first if you think this is possible, and then who it would affect the most. Um, obviously, we're seeing companies pull out of Russia, uh, and and uh, you know there's there's been some talk. You've seen guys walk out of like the 
uh, the Met Opera uh, asked, I guess, a, a, a singer to leave. Um, is the NHL considering asking Russian players to not play for their teams? And if if that were to happen, who would it affect the most? So, first of all, the NHL has been a goddamn embarrassment since Russia invaded Ukraine. I, I still don't know if they've made any statement. They've clearly not made any significant statement about uh, what's going on, and, and, and which is absolutely disgraceful because there are a lot of former NHLers playing in, in Russia in the KHL. There are players that are in the KHL that will want to come to the NHL, and they, they should have said something. That's number one. Number two, I don't think they would have the ability to do anything to the players. You know, players are under the collective bargaining agreement. And uh, whether you think it's right to suspend them or not, I don't think there's a legal basis for it. And I know we shouldn't be talking about law during a sports podcast, but I think uh, there would be a grievance. I think the player would win. Um, there's nothing in a collect the collective bargaining agreement that allows the NHL to suspend or teams to suspend players based on the politics of the country. Um, who would it affect the most? Probably Washington. Tampa, probably, right? Probably Tampa. Tampa. Tampa, Tampa, probably. Yeah, Tampa, Washington, Tampa. Bazzi and Kusharov. Yeah, but uh, I just, it's not going to happen. But uh, I read an I article was- today, uh, the, the U.S. and Canadian players don't want to see it happen. In fact, they're coming to the defense of their Russian teammates. Right. Um, in a, in, a, in a way that is, uh, was sort of unpredictable to me. Well, you know, again, it, you know, the, you read a lot of the stories, at least up here, and there's a huge Russian and Ukrainian community in Toronto. And everything is about, this isn't about Russian people because most of the Russian people are against the war. Um, and there's lots of, Russian and Ukrainian bonding going up in Toronto right now. Um, this is about Putin. And that's why I think you're seeing the athletes support their, uh, their fellow players. And, and remember, this is a union. It's a union. And I don't know if the union has sent down any information or, or talking points to uh, team reps. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they hadn't, but it, you know what? It's uh these are hockey players. We're not talking about PhDs in geopolitical discussions here. These are hockey players. Opera. They're opera singers also, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, it's, you know, Ovechkin, I think he made a huge mistake with his comments. He would have been better off say, saying nothing. But the other side of it is a lot of these players can't say anything. You, you see what's going on now. If you oppose the war in Russia, you're facing 15 years in prison. There's nothing okay. to stop. There's nothing to stop Putin and his his henchmen from going to get a player's family member if you oppose the war. Ovechkin sort of stands out to me as different, though. I mean, he came out in favor of the invasion of Crimea. He he and yeah. campaigned for Putin. Yeah, actively. I mean, he's. He's a lot different than the guys who are just being quiet because they're afraid for their family back in Russia. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But again, there's nothing uh, the owner of Washington, of the Washington Capitals can do. Maybe he says to Ovi, just be quiet now because you cause you cause a shit storm. Um, listen, Ovi, there's no secret about Ovi's love affair with Putin. 
Um, but I, I don't think the league has any ability to suspend these guys. It's an interesting um, that you, you talk about hockey. I really, I really do think that it's a, of the four major sports in North America, from a fan-based standpoint, it's a much, much different setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the controversy, if that's the right word to use, that existed surrounding Colin Kaepernick when he knelt during the national anthem and how that polarized fans and how that affected fans' participation. You're just not going to see that in the hockey community. Yeah. And it's, you know, if if the same thing were to happen on an NFL, I, I'm not sure that an NFL player, if he was from Russia, would be safe to play in some of these American football cities. Uh, it, you know, it's very polar, very polarized. Rooster, you remember, like, it was a very polarized environment with the whole Kaepernick thing. Right, but there's a difference. I mean, we don't need to get into it, but there's a big difference between Kaepernick and Ovi. No, of course. You know, of course. You know there's, there's a huge racist component to what happened with him. Right. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a fan base. That's not going to make a lot of noise about no. this. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's interesting because I hadn't given thought about the whole piece about the collective bargaining agreement. It's kind of, it's, it's a moot issue, whether or not yeah. the owners or players union or anybody, interestingly, the, the main agent, this guy, Milstein, most, yeah, he's Ukrainian, most, isn't he? He's Ukrainian. Yeah. yeah. And he and represents he, most of the Russian players. Yeah, yeah, and is defending them too. Yeah. 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 Listen, it, it, oh. there's a culture, there's a culture within hockey that has its own culture and it, it it's it goes across borders, whether it's uh Canada, the United States, Sweden, Finland, Russia, Ukraine. Um listen, again, these guys are not dealing with the politics of it. Listen, most of these guys are happy not to be in Russia right now. Uh, and they're happy to be living That's for sure. in, the, in the United States or Canada full time. Um, some of them go back during the summer, but I don't think many of them live there full time anymore because uh, it's it's a tough world. It's a tough place to live these days. Well, we got to talk too much uh, collective bargaining agreement tonight, but let's <laughs> uh, let's go from hockey to uh, to baseball. Got to give an update on it. And uh, I wish I could say things were changing by the second. I'm not so sure that's the case uh, right now, but when we, when we talked about it last week, there was still hope of a full season. I think we were getting close to the deadline while we were doing the pod. And uh, what we know now is we've lost the first two series of the season. So uh, we're going to have a 156 game season uh, at best, at best this year. Um, Right now, the things that are being fought over still um, are the, the low, the minimum salary. And, you know, interestingly, um, baseball has the lowest minimum salary of the four, uh, big time sports in the U S and, and 62% of the players on 2021 opening day rosters had salaries under a million dollars and 32% had salaries under $600,000. Um, so like a third of the league made close to the minimum in 2021, which is, 
which is pretty interesting. That's according to the Associated Press. Um, so the minimum salary is one of the big issues that the players are fighting over. Uh, this pre-arbitration bonus pool. So basically, when you're under your uh, rookie contract, and in, in they're talking about guys with zero to three years of service time. If you're the MVP, you you don't you don't get any compensation for that now. If you're zero to three years service time, if you're the you know d- defensive player of the year, some uh, I don't know silver slugger or something like that, you don't benefit from it in any way because you haven't negotiated a contract that has those kinds of incentives in it. So they've come up with this bonus pool uh, that could be paid out to guys who fit, you know, who fall into that category. The owners want it at 30 million, which is to fund it at $30 million, which is a million bucks a a team. And the players uh, have it and come down from 85 to $80 million. And then they have an escalator that goes up for uh, the the life of this uh, collective bargaining agreement. And then the last one is uh, the competitive balance tax, which is uh, baseball's sort of form of a salary cap. Once you go over the competitive balance tax, then you have to pay a penalty. How many teams last year went over the balance tax? Who knows? Hmm. Four. Good guess. I wouldn't have the first. I'm going to assume it wasn't the Pirates, huh? Two two teams. It was not the Pirates. The Yankees and the Dodgers. Well, the Padres were about a million over it. And the Dodgers were 20 million over it. Yeah. But those were only million. two teams. Boston wasn't only, Boston and the Yankees weren't over, huh? The teams no. that are the teams that are holding this up are the smaller uh, market teams that and it's over this CBT issue, right? I mean, didn't the Angels and the Royals and a couple other small teams like the Tigers say that they were they were well, uh, not going to vote for this under any circumstances? Well, well, I think there's there's two parts of it, I think, is that the the players want the balance tax to go be higher, right? So the teams can spend more money, of course. And I'm sure the smaller market teams don't want that. They don't want to have to be able to compete, right, with the bigger market teams. But in addition, the players want that floor. They want mm-hmm. to say that you can't go under right. uh, a certain a certain amount every season. I think I think most of the other leagues have that. Mm-hmm. Um, NHL does. Yeah, I think the NHL does, yeah. and I think I think basketball and football do too. That you have to spend a certain amount of money uh, every year. So that's that's the one of the big issues too. Um, the players have conceded certain points, and I think um, perhaps this is one where we could say that maybe they should keep the lockout going longer if this is what they're going to concede to. But they've conceded to uh, larger bases, um, <laughs> a pitch clock. And banning the shift, so basically they uh, they they don't want to play baseball. They want a different game. It's going to be t ball. Did yeah. they concede to the expanded playoffs too, and the ghost game? The ghost not, game. I I think the ghost game is a very interesting idea. Um, I don't think they've conceded to that yet. Uh, they rejected, no, it's kind of stupid, they, but they rejected the robotic umpires, though I believe. That's yep, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah that's true. Did. Look. The problem is, is they're trying to make the game. We've talked about this on here. Everybody wants to make the game faster, make the game faster. It's not supposed to be a faster game. It's supposed to be a strategy game, a thoughtful game, a game where you go out and watch it and sit back and relax. And we just don't have a culture that wants to sit back and chill out. At it yeah, I mean, you can give the appearance of speeding up the game. I, I, I know your point is that the slow, the biggest slowdown factor are the foul balls. 
um, on the long at bat, but you give the appearance of speeding up the game uh, on the really frustrating things where batters are stepping out after every pitch and readjusting their glove, you know, their, your, their batting gloves and pitchers are taking forever to throw the ball, speed that up, but don't, you shouldn't be affecting a manager's strategy. Uh, you know, the managers should be able to manage the game and shift wherever they want to. And good hitters should be able to hit where, where the infielders aren't. That's just the bottom line. I hate the you, shift. You know, the, the stupidity of this is after two pandemic seasons that these morons have decided this was the right time to do this. You've got people who are struggling yep. out of work, etc., And people are just, you know, back in the nineties, that, 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 uh, that strike did not help the game. If it was not for, you know, Sammy and McGuire after that, and then some of those other events, who knows what baseball would be. Cal Ripken. Cal Ripken. But I got to tell you, the, they're, both sides are just being so tone deaf. And, you know, there will be cities where fans come back, but people are finding other things to do and they won't come back. Well, I think I think the unfortunate thing, though, is what you just said, is that people will blame both sides. And I really do think that that there's an there's an uh, an evil side here and it is the owners and the, the owners are making so much money, so much money. And they make that money because of the players. Right. I mean, they they and they're just they've decided that they're going to be vilified no matter what. They don't really care. You know, and they're they'll push this and push this and push this because they're still going to make money and tons and tons of money. And, and the players in the long run will suffer more. Well, I mean, the bottom line is, and George Will said this years ago, uh, and you wouldn't think he's necessarily going to step up for the little man, but he said, nobody's ever paid money to go see an owner play baseball. Right. Exactly. Yep. That's it. That's right. Figure That's the right. fucking thing out and let's play ball. Yep. That's right. So hopefully we have a better report next week, but that's where we are on the on the the lockout at this point. So that leads us to come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Kujay with the triumphant comeback. More but tonight, don't call it a comeback. Punching people in the face. Who's up first? Rooster, what do you got? I got one. There's a story that came out today out of Mexico. Um, There was a La Liga MX game between Querétaro and Atlas, and fights broke out in the stands, spilled out onto the pitch. People are hitting each other with poles and, and chairs and you name it to the point where at least three people are in critical condition, 26 people have been hospitalized. There's, there was images of people lying unconscious on the field and people were still beating them, kicking them in the head, hitting them with stuff. I mean, it's just barbaric behavior and there have been no arrests yet. These people need to be found and arrested and, locked up for a long time for that kind of behavior. It's going to, it can, it's the kind of thing that can ruin a sport and they need to tamp it down real fast because it was just a stain on the reputation of Mexican soccer and just disgusting behavior. 
And those people they need to be punched too. They, they need to be punched yeah. and thrown, thrown yeah. in jail. Like having a punch of everybody in a fight. Uh, right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, now we're, yeah, we're punching people for punching. I know. Lila's big ass. There's a break violence, here. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, uh, mark the time. Okay. And <laughs> showing that he does, he knows more than just hockey. Uh, Paul, what do you got? You got a punchable face this All week, right. don't you? I do. And this guy I find to be the biggest prima donna in the NBA, Russell Westbrook. You know, just, you know, just shut up, man. That's what I want to tell him. Because a reporter asked him how he envisioned the season going after they lost again the other night. I think it was when they got blown out by the Pelicans. And like, seriously, man, answer the fucking question that you expected it to be a lot better than this. And he goes back and says to the reporter, well, what do you think I envisioned? And the reporter said, I would have thought you envisioned some wins. And all, <laughs> and all Westbrook has to say yeah. is, the season's not over. I'm not a quitter. Shut up. Because you know what? You screwed it up in Washington. You screwed it up with the Lakers. You only did something when you had Durant and Hart. Was Harden still with them when they went to the finals? Yeah, uh, he played pretty well for OKC when those two guys left. Right, because there was nobody else. He can't play with the other people in the sandbox. And when you challenge him, he gets all snippy. Dude, you're making $50 million a year. Shut up and sit down. And, and you know what? Let the reporter do his job. So I'd punch him in the face. All wow. right. Wait, wait till go. Milk, wait till Milk finds out that Miller's got an NBA take. This is really that's as close to Canadian rage as you're ever gonna see right there. <laughs> By the way, can I tell you? I gotta tell you, Milk had an NBA team a couple seasons ago, the yeah. Toronto Raptors. Yeah, and he did nothing to didn't support. Didn't even know them. they were there. He did nothing. I even got on the phone with him. Chris introduced me, and he's like, the Raptors, like what? What? Like, I know. come on, you know what? As as Chris Carter, as what was it? Uh, uh, what's his name for me? Yes, come on, man, Chris Carter. That's Chris Carter, right. yeah, come yeah, on, come man. on, man. All right, well, let's tech, let's talk about one more NFL receiver then going from Chris Carter because we got one more punchable face. Oh, and this God. is breaking news. <laughs> and this yeah. motherfucker, Calvin Ridley, Woo-hoo! this son of a bitch, was on my fantasy team, which I I came in second to last in the league this year. one. This motherfucker, <laughs> he sat out. He leaves for mental health reasons. And as of about two hours ago, he's been suspended for the entire in for next season uh, at the earliest. Right. I mean, that's it. That's the shortest is just next season for betting on on games. Um, I, I can't I haven't seen yet if he bet on Falcons games. Doesn't look like on, he did. I thought he did. It doesn't look like no. it, but it looks like no. he was betting on NFL games. Uh, and so he is suspended, Calvin Ridley, for just being a douchebag and screwing up my fantasy season. You're getting punched in the face this week. All right. Asshole. I have one question about <sighs> one question about Ridley. When it comes to Canton, does he have any chance? No. Calvin no. Ridley? You don't think so? No. 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 I don't He's think done. so. You don't yeah, you don't have any that. sympathy for the guy. He's <laughs> out. He's out with mental health issues. He fully cooperated with the investigation came in gave an interview he didn't bet that, while he was playing he was out with a non-football 
injury. I mean, it's wrong. It's clearly wrong, but no, I don't, I don't know. know. I, feel, I feel badly for the he guy. Was, Some, there's, he something was there's something wrong with it. He was preoccupied with gambling instead of what's going on in the field. Yeah, that's what that's cost Bison. Problem. That's yeah. what cost Bison. <laughs> put him in the poop trophy. Yeah, but yeah. I, ha- I I had him the year Mandel. before, and I won. Yeah, I well, had him the year before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, listen, the story's just coming out, but uh, he sounds like a dick to me. So whatever. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to something a little bit better. Barbecue sauce. away from the punchable faces and uh we're gonna go with our ted lassos of the week and we've got a big week of lassos yeah that's good house, for a change house, you got one i'll start off with one uh this is in tribute to our, our our missing guy milk and the florida gators there was a really good story this past weekend on the basketball court and in gainesville you guys might remember they had a really bright young star on their team, Keontae Johnson, who in December of 2020 collapsed on the floor. It was a really scary moment. Um, and it looked like whether or not he played basketball was one thing, whether or not he was going to live. Well, he, he, he lived and had to end his basketball career, at least at Florida. And so this past weekend was senior night and it was a really emotional stage where they allowed uh, Keontae Johnson to suit up, come uh, out for the tip off. He tipped off uh, the basketball kind of ceremonial ceremonially and um, stayed on the court for 10 seconds. And then they pulled him out. And before doing so, he hugged all of his Florida teammates. He hugged all of the players on the Kentucky basketball team they were playing and then uh, kiss the Gator logo on the center court. I just thought it was a really cool uh, talk about uh, ways to end things. You know, earlier we talked about Coach K, the way that Keontae Johnson and the way Florida did that for him was super, super cool. I'm crossing my fingers for this kid. He's trying to get medical clearance so he can try out for some NBA teams. I don't know whether at all this time he's got the stuff to even get a look but I at least hope that he's given the clearance to have a shot to pursue his dreams. Um, either way, it was it was a really cool thing that Florida did, and that's that's one lasso for this this week. Yeah, a good one, definitely. Good, good story, one. Rooster. You got one for us? I have a quick one. Um, during a combine, Malik Willis from here in Virginia, quarterback from Liberty, is pulling his uh, roller full of clothes to from one location to the other. And he, comes across a homeless person on the corner, stops, not not thinking anybody is watching him or knows who he is, opens up his suitcase and gives the person some clothes out of the suitcase and then proceeds on. Um, by all accounts, this is a really wonderful kid. He, he aced all the interviews. Coaches just love him. Um, and if that's any indication what a kind of person he is, uh, good for him. Um, I, I'll be a fan from now on. Just haven't watched that story unfold. I think on that one, there was there was someone that filmed it from the combine, from a restaurant. From a, yeah, there was someone in, at, at a restaurant looking out yeah. the window, saw it happening, and and got it on film. Yeah. Hopefully, we don't find out that that was his agent sitting there on the street. Yeah, I know. Wouldn't that so be awful? Wouldn't that, <laughs> wouldn't, that, 
Well, it looked, orga- it looked organic. It <laughs> has come out that that that, that person is in, in a marketing department somewhere, but <laughs> yeah. not necessarily for Malik. Oh God! All right. Uh, well, let's go back to always sunny in Philadelphia. House, you got another one for us this week. I just, just I, I, I love I love this story. You know, um, there was a there was a a boy named Chris Heggert when he was seven years old. In 2009, he was a youth soccer player. And while he was playing, he got hit in the stomach by a soccer ball. And it turned out to save his life because he went to the ER and they found out that being hit by the soccer ball had ruptured a cancerous tumor on his liver. And so he went into L.A. Children's Hospital to be treated for cancer. And while he was at L.A. Children's Hospital, he was visited by uh, a Chivas USA player named Sasha Cleaston, who played for the MLS team there in Los Angeles. And he gave this young boy, Chris, who was then eight years old, a USA men's national team jersey to cheer his spirits. Well, fast forward 12 years, and these two in Charlotte this weekend were on the same pitch on opposite teams. Chris uh, recovered from cancer and went on to be a superstar for Georgetown Hoyas men's soccer. And uh, ultimately made his way to the expansion Charlotte football club. By the way, if you have any question where soccer is going in the U.S., Charlotte put 74,479 fans in the stand, set a record for MLS this weekend. So they both entered the pitch in the second half. Um, Cleaston for LA Galaxy, Chris for the uh, Charlotte expansion team. And after the game, once again, uh, they exchanged jerseys. That was just a pretty unbelievable moment when you consider um, it was improbable they'd ever meet again, let alone be on the same pitch, let alone play against each other. Just super, super cool. It's a good, a true lasso moment. Lasso for sure. Good job. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Anybody got anything else? Well, Krista wants to know why they were wearing bras, and no one's been able to answer. <laughs> I was curious about that. It was definitely a piece of sporting equipment I had not seen on a man before. Especially knowing you're going to do a jersey exchange. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Does anybody know I what think those someone are? had the I mean, answer? I think Rooster, I think. Somebody had, or Paul said, like, well, well, I, really I, hard. He asked me, no, I, said, Mike, Paul, I, I would take, you know. Paul yeah, said, Mike, you got to protect the nipples. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, whatever works. Do what you got to do, I guess. All right, guys. Good show. Check us out Miss next you week. Milk. You guys. Right. Uh, yeah. See you guys Paul. next week. We'll have brackets <laughs> for being down here. We'll have we'll brackets next week. week. Yeah. All right. Guys, have a good week, guys. See ya.
The SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison-Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.